The Mindspo Podcast. What do you see with your mind's eyes? Welcome back. Let's elevate. Roll your shoulders up and back. Unclench your jaw. Elongate your spine as you take a deep breath in. And now, exhale. Now take your mind to that person, place, or thing that you have gratitude for and start to feel into the joy available to you at all times. Elevate into a higher vibration as we expand together and dive into this conversation. Welcome to the Mindspo podcast. My name is Rochelle Fox. I am your host and you are tuning in for a deep dive episode where we are getting inside the mind of my good friend and the founder of the Good Human Factory, Cooper Chapman. Now, before I get into this interview with Cooper today, I just want to reflect with you for a moment because this podcast that I recorded with Cooper, it actually got me really in my feels. And that's because this is a podcast about mental health. And it's a really important conversation that I'm going to share with you. And I just feel so honored and privileged and excited to have a platform where I can speak openly about these topics. You might not know this, but Mindspo and my whole entire journey in personal growth and meditation and manifestation, it all started from my own struggles with my mental health. I always say that Mindspo was born from a lot of pain and that's what really created all of this purpose, all of this drive. I am not someone that has always been super happy-go-lucky and high vibe. Yes, I may have worn a mask to appear happy and high vibe, but deep down, I've had times in my life where I've really, really struggled and I didn't think I was going to get out of those times. Now, 12 years on, I have a podcast and a company and a community and a retreats company and an app, and we are just in a different time space reality to where I was 12 years ago, not only with my own mental health, but with the conversations around mental health as a whole. When I was struggling 12 years ago, there was nothing like this out there. There weren't podcasts that were openly talking about mental health that I knew of, and Honestly, speaking about this stuff came with a lot of shame and a lot of stigma. It's really amazing that these times have now changed and we have these platforms, these podcasts, and these positive influencers like Cooper that are going out there and openly speaking about topics that really used to be taboo. So if you are someone that has navigated your own struggles with mental health or you know someone that is struggling with mental health at the moment, I know that this conversation is going to be so helpful for you and it's a really, really special one because Cooper's actually a really good friend of mine. So it was epic to be able to sit down with him and just hear about everything that he is doing with his own company, The Good Human Factory, and just hear a little bit more about his story. In this podcast with Cooper, we dive into a bunch of things, including Cooper's journey from being a pro surfer to a mental health advocate with The Good Human Factory, redefining self-worth from career success and your personal values, dealing with the society expectations of constant perfection, Cooper's experience of navigating sobriety and sober living, 
his approach to overcoming imposter syndrome, and so much more. If you enjoy this conversation with Cooper, I want to ask you to do one thing on social media for me. Something that I love about Cooper is every single day on his Instagram, he shares what he is grateful for publicly on his stories. He posts up a picture and he writes three things he's grateful for and why, and he shares that with his whole community. So if you listen to today's podcast and it is something that you are grateful for and it is something that brought value to your life. I'd love you just to take a photo, screenshot this episode and share it with your community with three things that you're grateful for and tag myself at Mindspo and at the Good Human Factory so we can share the love. With all that said, let's deep dive into this episode with Cooper Chapman. Coops, I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so, so grateful to be here. It's beautiful to be in Bali here in person with you. We've just spent an amazing week together and yeah, I'm excited to be a guest in your amazing podcast and share a bit more about my journey in life with your incredible audience. Yeah, I can't wait for this. So just for some context, we have literally just spent a whole entire week <laughs> together. Cooper is a friend of mine back from Oz. It's part of my friendship circle there. And you are the definition of a good human. <laughs> and I find that so funny because you have a company called The Good Human Factory. So if someone is just finding out about you right here, right now, what is the Good Human Factory? Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, the best way to describe the Good Human Factory is just I'm trying to connect curious minds with simple mental health strategies. Mental health is something that's been very important to myself and my family for a long time, as it should be for everybody. And I saw a bit of a gap in the market a few years back. My younger sister lost a few friends to suicide in her last year of high school. And it just didn't sit well with me. I was like, I've learned some amazing lessons across my journey as a professional athlete. And I knew I never learned a lot of these lessons at school. I found them myself and through incredible people like yourself and Soul and other people in our network and amazing coaches. And I think just my own curiosity to and my own fear of mental illness because of my family history. And I learned some amazing things along my journey and I'm continuing to learn those things. And now yeah, I've created an organization that is all about just connecting curious minds with some of those strategies and trying to go a little bit outside the normal realm of what mental illness is. I think mental health always gets touted and named as mental illness, but I'm trying to really just expand people's consciousness to realize that mental health and mental illness are not the same thing. Mental health is something we all have and mental illness is something that affects about 20% of Australians. So yeah, I've made it my purpose and mission to learn as much as I can and then share it with as many as I can to hopefully improve their lives. I love that. I want to just go to that point that you just said right now about mental health and mental illness, because I feel these two things just get chucked in such a bucket together. I feel like the other day when you did your talk and we were going through your Good Human Factory talk, which is something that you do in schools and for corporates all over Oz, which is so inspiring, which we'll get into a little bit later. But you really highlighted that all of us have a need to look after our mental health. And I feel like so many people just forget that actually, you know, mental health is like something everyone needs to facilitate. It's not just people that are maybe depressed or anxious. No, we all need to be looking after our mental health. Yeah. I mean, we're all on this spectrum from really good mental health to mental illness and every single one of us fluctuate every single day. And mm. I'm not going to say unlucky ones, but some of us who don't have that awareness and have different environmental things and different things in their life that really drag them back down towards that poor end of the spectrum. Yeah, we're all on that spectrum somewhere and we move up and down. And I feel like if we're conscious of it and we're making choices that bring us up that spectrum, then more of us can be living that healthy, happy, great well-being life that we all 
are striving for, but a lot of us are just so unaware of that. And I think because we always look at mental illness, like depression, anxiety, suicide are the three words that come up usually when you mention mental illness, I think it kind of makes people really fearful of mental health. And most people, you say mental health, and they think of those three things as well. So I'm just trying to encourage people to think of it in a different way and go, you know what, I have mental health, just like I have health, and I need to do some things to take care of it. Yeah. And I want to circle back to a little bit of your history. So you said that you had some stuff in your family that went down. Would you mind talking about what was it that was that fear that made you go in this direction and really just like boldly start talking about these subjects? Yeah, of course. So growing up, I remember really clearly, I was about six or seven years old and my dad came downstairs one day, I was playing video games and he came and sat next to me and looked really upset. And I mean, I can't remember exactly what I said to him. I don't think I said, what's going on? Are you okay? But I could just see he was upset and he told me that his brother had taken his own life. And I actually didn't know that uncle of mine. He lived overseas and I never really had a relationship with him, but it was something that I realized, wow, suicide's a thing. I'd never heard of it before. So I was aware of it. And then throughout my teen years, I watched my dad suffer different, nothing really, really major, but just was aware that my dad at times got a bit of alcoholism, would get a bit drunk quite often, but then he would also suffer a bit of depression and anxiety and he'd go and want to see counsellors sometimes. And my mum was almost the other side of the spectrum and nothing against her. It was how she was brought up. She was kind of the get over it, like mental health isn't really a thing. So I saw both sides of the spectrum, which left me a little bit confused maybe throughout my teen years. But it also left me in a bit of fear of maybe I'm going to go down this family history of mental illness. But then I lived the most amazing teen years throughout high school. I was a professional surfer. I had quite a lot of success. And I used to base so much of my identity and my self-worth was Cooper the pro surfer. And when I was doing well, which was pretty frequently in my teen years, my mental health was sitting at that good end of the spectrum pretty often. And it wasn't until I kind of got into my early 20s that I started to realize, oh, wow, like my results are declining, my mental health is declining. But then I had this guilt and fear that, oh, I can't be depressed. I've got this amazing life. Mm. So I had this fear of asking for help and really being open about the fact that maybe I was struggling a little bit. And then I spoke to my sports psychologist about it and I kind of told him how I was feeling. He's like, mate, it's so common for us to base our self-worth, our identity on our careers And I was like, well, yeah, what do I do then? And he said, I want you to start basing your self-worth and your identity on your values. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, what are your values? And I'd never had somebody ask me that. And I was like, I guess like kindness, respect, honesty, all these ones that we hear of. But then he said, yeah, but how well do you actually live to those values? Mm -hmm. And that just really changed my mind and went, okay, if I'm too scared to go and talk to a psychologist about maybe the mental health issues that I feel like I might be having because of my family history, Maybe I can self-educate. Maybe I can read some books. Maybe I can try and find what my values are. And ever since then, I've opened my mind to the fact that there's so much great information out there. There's so many incredible different modalities and things that we can do away from the general, I guess, prescription of the media and the pharmaceutical and most of these figures that we look up to like doctors. I just didn't, it didn't fit well for me. I was like, maybe there's other things that I can do before I go that route. And I found that there were so many great things. And yeah, I feel like, I'm always learning. I still go through my tough times, but I feel like I now have the skills and the modalities and the understanding how to manage my mental health a bit better. Yeah. You said so much there that I want to unpack. I think the big thing that I really want to unpack is values. Yeah. This is 
such a fundamental personal development pillar that I feel is so forgotten about. Mm. So many people don't even know what their values are. And a lot of people work in companies or work for business and they've been read the company values and they're like adhering to these values that someone has put on them. But so often we don't take the time to create values within ourselves. So what is like a value? Can you get into that just to describe that? If someone's just hearing this for the first time being like, I started living to my values. What, What even is that? What does that look like? I guess your values are the attributes of the person you hope to be. Okay. And why I say that is a lot of people say my values are kindness, respect, honesty, but then it's, yeah, but are you living to those values? Mm -hmm. So it's the attributes of the person you hope to be, you aspire to be, and then every day it's trying to live to those values and live up to that person that you look to be, like that you look is a happy, healthy, successful person that you want to be known as. And a lot of us have values that we're not living to and, yeah, I think as soon as we become conscious of them and then have the understanding that our actions need to live up to those values, that's a real lesson around values that a lot of people miss. A lot of people, a lot of companies have their company values. Yeah, but is your company actually working to those values or do you just say they're your values? So there's a bit of a disconnect, I think, quite often when it comes to what your values are and how you're actually living to them. So what are your values? <laughs> it's a good one because I do do keynote speaking and I talk about all five of these values all the time. So my first one's responsibility. and. Mm-hmm. I think we all need to start with responsibility. And we watched a great movie on the retreat the other day called The Peaceful Warrior. And there's a quote that is very aligned with what I talk about. And I think it's just so beautiful. And it says, be conscious of your choices and responsible for your actions. And I think that's what taking responsibility is, like understanding that we have to make choices consciously rather than letting everything from the capitalistic marketing that we live in telling you when you buy this, then you'll be happy. It's like, no, no, no. Am I being conscious that, no, I don't need that to be happy. That's just this marketing telling me that. And are these choices making me feel good or bad? A lot of us aren't actually taking time to reflect, and I wasn't. And then once I started to be like, okay, I need to be responsible. My choices do lead to my future and being more conscious of them. And then, yeah, being responsible for our actions when you do something that doesn't live up to your values, being like honest about it with yourself and taking responsibility when you're letting people down and apologizing and saying, you know what, I can be better and actually being better and actually making those actions to make changes, not just say, oh, sorry, I won't do that again. And then continuing to do the same thing. So I think the first one's responsibility, understanding that we have to be responsible for our actions. My second value is gratitude. It's something that I absolutely love. I know you talk about gratitude a lot. I think it's a thing that we all need to practice when we start to look at the things we have in our life rather than the things we don't have. It starts to change. We start to realize there's so much that we can be grateful for. And my dad always said to me as a kid, appreciation, not expectation, Cooper. Appreciation, not expectation. And I think at times it was because he was a bit of a scab and didn't want to like buy us all the extravagant things in life. But now I look back and know he's just trying to drill into me gratitude. Mate, you can always have bigger, you can always have better, you can always have more. But when you start to appreciate less and what you already have, then you don't need as much. So gratitude, it's such a beautiful thing. I practice it every single day. It's super important to me. The next one's empathy. Empathy is something that I feel like we can all get better at. I break empathy into three little categories. The first is listening. We all can listen better, me included. Like something I struggle with, my partner, is really helping me get better at that. She calls me out on it and instead of biting at it and taking the judgment as if it's a negative criticism, I go, oh, wow, she's just trying to improve me. Okay, I can listen better. The quotes are really good for me. They like trigger my memory and trigger my like responsibility, I guess. So one of them's listen, don't just wait to talk. 
And I always catch myself waiting to talk or waiting to share my thing. So that's a good one. And then the other ones, be interested, not interesting. And that's a great one from a guy, Ben Crow, who's a mindset incredible coach from down in Melbourne. And I always think back to that one because we all have such amazing stories to tell, but you learn so much more by listening. And then also with empathy is respecting other people's feelings and emotions, realizing and taking a step back and going, yeah, we are so different. We all live a different walk of life and that's okay. There's no right or wrong. There's just the way that somebody likes to do it and the way that somebody else likes to do it. So just being like, okay, just because this is the way that I do it and I think this is the right way doesn't mean it is the right way. And then the last one is judgment. Like we don't need to judge people. It's such a toxic thing to do, like thinking that you know better or we're all just different. So that's a big one for me, empathy. Third one's mindfulness. I've learned so much from you and Soul around meditation and being present, but I think meditation is kind of the practice to build more mindfulness as a value into our life. But mindfulness is just being present, being in the present moment. How can we connect to our senses? How can we be where we are? And that's just one that I always try and practice, being mindful, looking into people's eyes when they talk to you, actually sitting there and being present, not thinking about the future, not thinking about the past, just trying to be in that present moment. And it's something that's super important to me. And the last one's kindness. Mm -hmm. Kindness is a beautiful value that we should all have. It's something that we all know what it is and we all do have. But the more I've got into this mental health industry, the more science I start to read about is that kinder people are happier people. There's so much data that leads to this. And sometimes we just need to, yeah, realize that and realize that I don't need to buy this new thing to be happy. I need to be kind. And and I'll give you a good story of that. I love telling this story and you've heard this before, but I'll tell your audience. I was in Japan for a surf comp when I was about 21 years old, really struggling with my identity and me and my friends all lost in the first round of this event. And we're all pretty down on ourselves and we're like, what are we going to do to make ourselves feel better? And I, we're like, let's go to Tokyo. We'll go buy ourselves some. We'll go on a shopping spree in Tokyo. That'll be fun. So we go to Tokyo, we buy a bunch of stuff we don't really need and we're feeling a little better. We come back that night and we're having sushi at a restaurant and I'm sitting next to the guy making a sushi and we're just having a bit of a chat. And he said to me, how's your day? And I was like, oh, we lost in the surf con. We're pretty disappointed, but we went to Tokyo. We had a really fun day. We saw some sightseeing and we bought a bunch of stuff. So we're feeling pretty good. And he said something that stuck with me. And I'm sure every listener will remember this story from now on. And he said, ah, you guys have got it all wrong. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, in the Western world, you guys all say when you're having a bad day, go and buy yourself something nice. That'll make you feel good. And I was like, yeah, retail therapy. And he said, what we say here in my family and in my culture is when you're having a bad day, don't go and buy yourself something. Go and do something nice for somebody else. That'll actually make you feel good. And when you really think about that, anytime that you do something nice for somebody, it makes you feel so good. And that comes back to this consciousness of, wait a second, all these companies in the world, the best psychologists in the world work for them and their job is to trick you and tell you you're insignificant without our product. You're insignificant until you go on this holiday that we're marketing to you. But once we start to take back that control and go, "Mm, all the data leads to kindness, gratitude, mindfulness, making us happier, making us move up that well-being scale, then we take back the control. We don't need to consume to be happy. We can yeah, do nice things for others. We can do nice things for ourselves to make us feel good. So they're my values. Love that. When you think about your values ever since you created them, has there ever been a moment where you know what your values are? you've acted out of alignment with your values and you've had to pull yourself back. Like, how does that feel? Because I feel like even for me, when I think about values, I've done a lot of work on beliefs in my life and I'll have a belief and then I'll act out of alignment with the belief. And then I've had to pull myself back. Have you done that kind of thing with values? Oh, a lot, especially the responsibility one's the first one. Because I know so much great information, the amount of times that I feel guilty about doing stuff that I know doesn't really align with my values, whether it be understanding how 
good exercise and being in nature is for me. And I've gone three weeks without training and doing any movement or going into nature. Like that makes me feel guilty and I'm not taking responsibility. But then it counteracts the fact that I know with kindness, I need to be kind to myself because so the world's a big paradox and contradiction, but it's just about understanding that, yeah, we need to be at least aware of these things and then we can make steps in the right direction. But I'm so far from perfect and my values evolve all the time and you can always be kinder. You can always be more grateful. So it's not like there's a finish line. There's never a destination with this stuff. It's like as long as you're walking in the right direction, it's all good. So it's just always about yeah being aware of it and trying to live up to them every day. And if you don't, that's okay. Tomorrow's another day. Literally asked you that because I knew that's what you were going to (laughs) say. Because I know I know you and I think that's why you're such a good advocate for this stuff because you're not like, hey, look at me, I'm the guru, I know it all. You are so grounded. You have such a relaxed approach to stuff. And I feel when sometimes when we hear about this stuff, we hear about mindset and meditation and all these things, sometimes it can feel like it's coming across in this preachy way. We can get really intimidated and think we're real shit. Oh, I don't have any values. I'm completely lost. But it's this process of finding them out, and then just continually trying to get, you know, 1% better every day, which is something that I know you talk about. But I want to go to the concept of the good human factory. And I even want to just go to the name, the good human factory. What does it mean to you to be a good human? Oh, I guess I'll go back to what I said before, being conscious of your choices and taking responsibility for your actions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the good human factory, it's a funny one. Where I came up with the name, I didn't realize for years that people must have looked at me thinking like, I call myself this good human. But when I came up with, I didn't even come up with the name. When I, my sister lost her second friend to suicide in like a fortnight of high school. And I was like, I need to do something about this. And that's where I just had this urge to go and share with school kids my story and maybe it'll help some of them. And I went and spoke to my old school teacher, this great guy, Ian Wood from Narrabeen Sports High, who was like a young, cool teacher. We all had that one teacher that we got along really well with. And I was like, mate, did you hear about the two suicides at the school? My sister at school. And he's like, yeah, it's terrible. I was like, can we catch up for a beer? I want to just have a chat to you about some stuff. And he's like, yeah, of course. Had a beer with him and he was like, pardon me, we're just talking. I was like, oh, I'd love to come and maybe share with some of the kids my story, maybe one or two of them can pick up one or two of the skills that I've learned. It might help them. And he was just like, oh, you're such a good human for wanting to come and do that. And I was like, oh, no, I'm just like literally hate seeing the kids are taking their own life. Like it's so sad. And then he was like, oh, you should. And then he opened my mind to the idea of like entrepreneurship and that, hey, not only is there an awesome way that you can help a lot of people, you can maybe start a business in this if you want to go down that route. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. He was like, there's good money in public speaking and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, yeah. Then I was like, what should I call it? And he's like, why don't you call it like the good human factory? Like people come to your workshops, come to the content, the product of what the good human factory is, and they leave feeling a bit better. Like they come to the factory, they leave a bit better of a human. And I was like, oh, yeah, there you go, the good human factory. And then my logo is good with a little smiley under it. And the reason behind that is because my name's Cooper. I'd always sign Cooper and under the OO, I'd have a smiley. Mm. And then I was like, oh, good as a smiley. It just made sense. So that's where the good human factory came. I love that you tapped on something that I think is so prevalent in entrepreneurship and when we create brands, which is that you name it something and then it's like living up to the expectation of that name or that identity. Have you ever felt that pressure of always having to be a good human because you have this brand of the good human factory? Is that something that you're like internally suffered with? Because giving you some perspective, even mine's both right. One of my taglines on this podcast or not even this is before this podcast back on social media, I always used 
used to chuck up Instagram stories that said, I'm a meditation teacher, not a saint. And that was my way of just saying to the world, like, yes, I'm all about meditation and personal growth. And I'll talk to you, the cows come home about all these spiritual things, but please do not look at me as your guru. Please do not put me in the saint box. Cause I felt this immense pressure from being a role model, going out there, having these conversations and I can just even sense from what you said just then, me being like, oh God, do people think that like I'm calling myself a good human? When we create these brands with the best intentions, sometimes there's this, I guess like this expectation that we feel like we now have to live up to. Is that something that you've experienced? Yeah, I mean, that's why it's not called the great human factory or the perfect (laughs) human factory. It's called the good human factory because it's just a little bit better than average. It's just making sure that you realize that we have potential, but you don't have to be perfect. It's like mm. no one's perfect. If you are, then good luck to you. I'm yet to find someone out there who's perfect. So, yeah, that's why it's called the good human factory. Like we can all be good. Good's not great. Good's not perfect. But, yeah, I definitely feel that. That's something that I struggle with all the time. Like whenever I go out and party or do stuff that in my mind isn't, I don't know, isn't not even in my mind isn't a good human. It's my perception of what other people's view of a good human is. If I'm doing something that might not align with that, it does make me feel super guilty, but it also motivates me to be better because if I'm feeling that, then it's probably a bit of a sign that, you know what, I can do better in this area. But, yeah, I just don't have any judgment anymore. I'm like I've made so many mistakes and done so many silly things along my journey that I'm like I can understand why people do anything and people have different upbringings and self-beliefs and there's no perfect out there. So, yeah, I definitely feel a weird bit of pressure to be a good human now that I've, like, reflected a bit more on it. But, yeah, I mean, we're never going to be perfect. That's why it's just called the good human factory. Good's just a little bit better. I think it's so important to address that because I think it's actually something that a lot of people struggle with when Mm -hmm. they have this intention of making a brand or becoming like a coach or going into these sorts of spaces. There's this like external pressure of, oh my gosh, now I always have to say the right thing. Like even having a podcast, you have a podcast. I've been on your podcast. You have a great podcast, by the way. So Cooper has a podcast, guys, that is literally just filled with people's like really interesting stories. And you Mm -hmm. really go deep into getting people just to talk about their perspective and their values. And you have people from all walks of life. Mm. And I think that that's just such a testament to anyone can be a good human and everyone is a good human. It's just about working in alignment to your values and doing your best and just getting 1% better every single day. Absolutely. I want to go into surfing. So you have this career now where you're going out and speaking at schools and running these corporate workshops. You've got your podcast, you've got your merch, you're doing all this incredible stuff in this like mental health mindset realm. But you had like a whole past life as a pro surfer. And I actually had no idea about your like pro surfing background. It wasn't until I met you at my mate Alex's house. So we have Alex Hayes, who's a mutual friend who's been on this podcast. I remember when I met you, I I had no really idea about your past. And then my editor of this podcast, who's worked for me for six years in it, she's like, oh my God, you're with Coops. Like, and she like knew all about you. And I was just like, oh. Shit, like I, I I, had no idea that this was like Cooper's whole entire past. And I, you have a very rich past life in surfing and you obviously still surf and you're an amazing surfer. But like, <laughs> that's wild. Like you've been a pro athlete and now you are doing a whole entire another industry. It's really so interesting that you've had such a, such a wide length of things that you've done in such a short amount of time. Yeah, it was a big part of my life, I guess, majority of my life. I was a pro surfer from leaving school. I had quite a successful junior career. I 
won an Australian title when I was like 14 years old over at Margaret River in the under-16s, which led me on to throughout high school getting to represent Australia and wear the green and gold and travel all around the world for world titles. When I was yeah in high school, I went to Ecuador, Panama, Peru and New Zealand for world titles when I was in school and we won a few gold team medals, which was pretty special to represent your country. And then from there, I finished school and was sponsored by Hurley, making pretty good money when I finished school. So I'd traveled the world for 10 years as a pro surfer. Pro surfer, like pro surfer. Like I remember when I found this out about you, I had no idea. And I'd spent like a week with you just coming over to Alex's. And I was like, I remember I Googled you. <laughs> I was like, Cooper can really surf. <laughs> I was so impressed. Like, it's so wild that you've literally had this full thriving career and then you've taken that and you continue on. Yeah, it's funny. People now, and it's funny because I used to like, I'd go out and like, this is my ego and this identity thing. Like, I'd want people to know me as the Mm. pro surfer and not many people did. And now the work that I do, I get so many people like, I love your podcast. I love the work you do. I love, you've helped me so much with stuff. And I don't want the attention anymore, but it comes to me now that I don't want it. Whereas when I was a surfer, the ego wanted it. But yeah, I mean, I had a pretty nice surf career. I never got to, in surfing, like the elite elite is the top 32 in the world. Mm -hmm. And I never got to that. There's like the next tour called the qualifying series or the challenger series now, which is sort of the next hundred in the world, trying to get in the top 10. So the top 10% of that hundred which you have to qualify into even that 100, which is quite difficult for most. And I competed on that tour for nine years and mm. was ranked, yeah, in the top 100 surfers in the world for eight or nine years from sort of 19 to 27. And then I started the Good Human Factory when I was about 26, sort of like right towards the end of my surf career. I started to understand that there was a bit more to life than this. I realised how insulated the surf world was and I was always trying to be something that I maybe wasn't in surfing and I had the most amazing friends and traveled the world and had this incredible life. But I lost my sponsor when I was like 23. And then for the last three years of my surf career, I was working full time as a tradie, sort of digging holes and saving as much money as I could to go to the next event and travel the world. So it got to a point where I just didn't have the support financially to be able to do it. And I was doing it off my own bat. And yeah, I just got to a point where the Good Human Factory started to grow. COVID hit, all my events got cancelled for a year. The Good Human Factory was growing. And yeah, I think my purpose just shifted a lot. And I look back with nothing but absolute gratitude for my surf career. I traveled the world surfing for 10 years. I feel like I, yeah, had an amazing career. And it's like funny, I look at it like, oh, I didn't get in that top 30 in the world. But then you also go, if you're in the top 100 in a sport, like in AFL, there's like 500 people in the AFL, like you're in the top 20% of the AFL if you're in the top 100 and that's just in a small Australian sport. So globally surfing, I was in the top 100 for a long time. So yeah, I look back and understand that I did have quite a bit of success, which yeah, I feel very lucky that I learned so many great lessons, so many great cultures, people. I traveled the world with it and it really springboarded me into the career that I have now. I feel very blessed that I have a bit of a profile from my surfing that's allowed me to leverage that into my career now. But most importantly, I just learned so many lessons from around the world, from different coaches, from different people, from sports psychologists that, yeah, made me the person I am today. I think what's so interesting there is a lot of people have a passion, right? Or they're trying to find their passion or they're trying to find their purpose. And they think that it's just one thing. Like people get in their head, like, I'm going to, I have to find this one thing and that's going to be my thing for life. And I think what you've just proven there is that you had this thriving kick-ass, like very impressive pro surfing career. And now you've gone into talking in schools and having your podcast and a merch line. It's like, you've 
really shown that through having a curious mind, through staying open, through just realizing that you can always change, always evolve, that life can take on so many different chapters, even while you're so young. Because I feel like so many people, like maybe they've been going for a dream and it didn't work out and they're like, oh, that's it. That was me. That Mm. was the dream. It's done. Talk to me about when your surfing career was kind of coming to an end. Did you, was there a moment, like, was that really like the identity crisis part that you were talking about? I think there's like different stages to it from losing the sponsor was a big one going like, oh, people don't believe in my career. Like, why should I believe in it? But I think I just started to read and learn a lot about different books. And I feel like I've learned this lesson far younger and earlier than a lot of people do. But I think it came from my sporting career that I realized that in my surfing career, everyone around me was trying to help me succeed, Mm -hmm. to make Cuba the best surfer. I had coaches, my family, everyone wanted me to do so well. And it was all about me. And then without, uh, this is kind of the first time I've really thought of this, but it makes a lot of sense in my mind right now. When my younger sister lost these two friends in year 12 to suicide, I almost felt this guilt that I'm like living this incredible life, but I'm not giving back to people. I'm not, there's not much service. And I started to read a lot of books about service and learned this kind of concept that there's like kind of these two mountains that we climb in life. The first one you climb and it's all about you and all about you trying to succeed and achieve. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people get to the top of it and realize, well, I'm not that fulfilled. And I was feeling that while I'm climbing this mountain and I didn't really understand it. But then I started to understand this stuff about values and service and giving back. And then, yeah, when my sister lost these friends to suicide and I started to discover this other route of sharing what I've learned and helping people. A lot of people guard their secrets and their things that have helped them succeed, whereas I was like, I just want to share. Mm -hmm. And then I started to, yeah, get this amazing feeling that comes with service and comes with sharing what you know and really trying to base your life around helping other people. And then that kind of really started to pull my mind away from surfing and really like realizing it doesn't really matter if I win a surf comp or not. What matters is if I yeah can positively affect the people around me. And I made a philosophy. I got invited to the first ever surfing Olympics camp with Surfing Australia. And I knew I was never going to make the Olympic team. There was a lot of guys ahead of me, but I just was one of the last people that got a spot to this training camp. And we got asked to like discover what our philosophy is. And I don't think many of the people at the camp took it seriously, but I did. And I decided, and, and it's funny, I found this old diary recently and I read what my philosophy was. And I feel like ever since that moment, I didn't look back on it often or at all, but I read it the other day and I was like, I feel like I've really done that since then. And the philosophy I wrote was through hard work, dedication and passion, being a positive influence to my peers and younger generations. And the one thing that I really love about that quote is I feel like, yeah, I've worked hard, I've been dedicated and had a lot of passion for mental health and I've influenced a lot of younger generations. But the thing that's probably been the most special about it is being a positive influence to my peers. Mm. And that's what means the most to me. So many of my best friends now, from you guys to a lot of my best friends, I've moved to the Gold Coast since sort of starting the Good Human Factory and met all these amazing people who are achieving so much. But when I have very successful people in their own right coming to me and saying, oh, my relationships with my family's gotten better because of you teaching me about gratitude or because of you mm-hmm. talking about this, I'm like, that makes me feel so good, better than winning a surf comp. Like winning a surf comp is like, eh, now. Whereas like your friend coming up to you and being like, hey, my relationship with my dad's better because I had this open conversation about gratitude. I've never done that before. That shit's real. That made me emotional. <laughs> I like, honestly, I, it's you've literally scripted. I think it's a manifestation technique that I use where you literally write down like what you want to be in the future and you write it down in first person and you back then with your philosophy idea, like you're literally scripting and you've walked into that version of mm. Cooper. So I think that's so powerful. 
I want to time travel with you for a moment. I want you to go back in time to Cooper that has just lost his sponsorship. What would you say to him now, knowing what you now know as the person you are now, if you could go back in time to that version of Cooper that's down and out, just lost the sponsorship, what is going on in my life? What would you say to him? What would your advice be to like navigate that? Uh, it's going to be all good. It's, it's, be all good. <laughs> it's, it's all going to be all right. Like life's going to keep moving forward. The world's not against you. There's going to be ups and downs along the road and there's going to be people who don't believe in you along the journey and that's okay as long as you can, yeah, believe in yourself. And that's what I feel like the good human factory has been for me is this like I've never at once thought that I'm not going to make it or achieve something or there's no destination with the good human factory. Like I said before, it's about like as long as I'm walking in the right direction, it's all good. And mm. yeah, I feel like there was times where I felt like the world was really against me when I lost that sponsor. I had people who I truly looked up to. I thought were going to support me saying, oh, we don't think you're going to make it. We don't think you're good enough. And in hindsight, I guess I didn't make it to where, so they were right. And now I have the kind of humility to be like, you know what, they were right rather than being against it, just accepting that sometimes we don't reach our goals and that's okay. And that's why instead of basing my identity and my self-worth around reaching goals and making a career achievements, it's been around, all right, how can I live to my values? It's a far easier yardstick to kind of reach all the time. Mm. But yeah, I'd just say to myself, like, it's all going to be good. Keep evolving, keep learning, meeting people, be open, be kind, all these things that I wasn't back then. Yeah, I guess I wish I learned it earlier, but I also am very grateful that I've learned it now because something that I've kind of really lent into is this fact that like maturity is when you stop blaming. Maturity is when you stop blaming your circumstances and outside things. And I always used to blame, oh, the bloody judges underscored me again in that comp. These guys from America are getting paid so much more than me, but I'm higher rated than them. I felt the world was against me. It's, it's not like you create your own circumstances and now having my own business, I feel like I'm doing that, which is I feel very blessed that I get to do that. Like I'm 29 now and I feel like I'm just really at the start of this next chapter and this next journey, which seems so much healthier and happier than I was when, if you look back, a lot of people would look at me like I had it all. I was pro surfer traveling the world, but I wasn't happy at times, which now I truly am quite often. <laughs> I love that answer because the reason I asked that is I know that there's someone that's like listening to this right now that has maybe just been rejected or told like that dream's not going to work, you're an idiot or rejected in some mm. way. And I feel like how we can navigate those times is to do what I know you do and I do, which is read biographies, listen to podcasts, listen to people that are going and have been through like those hard moments that suck. That is mm. not a fun moment, but you've evolved through that with so much grace and I feel like it's only sometimes in hindsight like knowing what we now know of course we didn't know that then yeah. but if we can imagine like how we would navigate that I feel like it's so helpful ah oh, dude there's so much I want to get into I want to talk about sober life with you oh, yeah. because this <laughs> forgot is forgot about that no I know you forgot <laughs> about that so I think this is so fitting I probably haven't told you this but you doing your one year sober you did a whole entire year 28 and sober which you documented on your podcast as well I was really inspired by that I remember when you were doing it and I was like playing around with the idea of stopping drinking I remember I would see your stuff pop up and we were around and I was like dude this is so cool that like Coops has done a year and I think the fact that you had said you're doing a year and you were sticking to a year and you were like younger than me and you're with like what I call we're part of I don't know if you call it this Party as well crew. but I call our crew in Sydney like the pump it up crew mm. like this is the crew and that comes from that song you don't got you know pump, pump it, it up you, you got, got to pump, pump it up, up. don't you know <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a fun summer. Dude, 2020, <laughs> before the world ended, 
Coops, me, Alex, like our whole entire crew are at Alex Hayes' house, like gromming it out for like living. a week of just Daily what, living. what seemed like kick-ons after loose nights after. It was the funniest time because you guys, honestly, we'd go out partying, having a good time at night. It would be at Alex's house, go get a bacon egg roll. And then all of a sudden you guys are all doing like action sports. And I'm just lying on the couch with Archie and this cat being like, I am so hungover how are these bloody grommets going out there on surfboards and you'd all be just flying around and be like honestly i don't know where you get it from but so we're part of a crew in sydney that i call the pump it up crew it's a crew we have a good time we're all about working out living well but we also go out and party right Mm -hmm. we we have a good time and i remember i was here in bali and you were doing that i was like how is Cooper navigating one year sober? And you've gotten to the end of that. I want to talk about, firstly, why did you decide to give up alcohol for a year? Let's go into that first. I guess shout out Nicole Vignola. I think she's going to come on this podcast soon. She Um, sure is. There's a beautiful lady from the UK who's a neuroscientist who I had as a guest on my podcast and we spoke about the effects of a whole range of things on the brain. And we got to talking about drugs and alcohol and Mm -hmm. I'd listened to some stuff with Dr. Andrew Huberman about, I don't know if it's doctor, but Andrew Huberman, most people know who he is, about alcohol. And there's all this incredible information out there now that alcohol is basically poison. Mm. Yep. And I, yeah, we have all the opportunities in the world to drink alcohol. I just signed a contract to be a part owner of an alcohol company. <laughs> Shout out Gravity Seltzer. But then I spoke to her and I was like, you know what? I was sober curious, like most of us are. I wonder if I could do like a month off. I wonder if I could do two months off. And I was like, I was about three weeks away from turning 28 and I was like, wow, 18 to 28, 10 years legally drinking. That's a lot of drinking mm. multiple times a week really for me. I travel the world as a surfer. Surfers are pretty loose. I have incredible friends who are very well connected from Alex being a DJ to my brother-in-law being Fisher, the biggest DJ in the world. I have every opportunity to drink as much as I want in the most wild circumstances ever. <laughs> But I said to Nicole, I was like, you know what, I'll take a year off. And I just said it on the podcast. And and I just read a book from this guy, Jocko Willink, and I love to quote that he talks about the discipline equals freedom. And I feel like this fact that we all think we're free, we get to live this life, we can go and drink whenever we want. But I was like, no, freedom is when you can say no. And I couldn't say no to alcohol. So I was like, you know what, I can do a month off, two months off. But I was like, if I can do a year off. That's really saying no and not being swayed by the cultural norms Mm -hmm. and the alcohol marketing that's on every TV ad all day and on every billboard around the country. It's crazy how much we get marketed and they drink responsibly at the end. It's it's kind of heavy when you really think about it, how much we get marketed to do it when it's poison. If it got discovered right now, it would be put in a poisons cupboard in a lab that we get fed it all the time. So yeah, I was like, you know what, I'll do a year off. And I just said it and I was like, to keep myself accountable, I was like, I'll do a podcast episode every week and document the journey. And yeah, I did 52 episodes of the podcast. I didn't have a drop of alcohol for the year. And to be honest, it wasn't like I felt like way better, but it was more some of the mindset to know that I can. I had that control, like I had the discipline and I was free to take a year off. It's a testament to the kind of person that you are that on a podcast you commit to a year of no alcohol. I just think that is wild because when I committed to this journey myself, I was, am I going to do this? Am I not going to do this? I got this intuition from my higher self and I didn't like the intuition. I was like, dude, guides, whatever this universe thing that talks to me is, usually you don't tell me what not to do. Normally it's like, Rochelle, go and do this, go and do that. And this was like, you will stop drinking for a year. And I was like, 
What if this wedding's on? I was like, like, who the fuck are you to tell me this? Like, (laughs) Calm down, boys, inside the head. I wanted to dismiss it. A lot of people ask me when they find out that I'm not drinking. Everyone's like, how do you deal with social situations? And I'm kind of at this point where I'm not going out as much as you are. I'm in a little bit of an insular bubble. I feel like I don't get the peer pressure that you do or that you would have. How did you navigate it? Because I I feel like you were around people that were drinking more and there was maybe more peer pressure than what I've experienced or no? I, I mean, I'm lucky. The people around me like knew that I was doing it and didn't give me that much. No, no one ever gave me pressure. I think okay. because I announced it and I was doing like a podcast about it, All right, yeah. it was pretty like, oh, yeah, he's not doing it. And then nights where I'd be out and someone would be like, oh, you want to drink? I'd be like, no, I'm not drinking. And people would be like, oh, come on, righto. And then I'd tell them why I'm doing it. And most people would be like, oh, I wish I could do that. It's yeah. something that we all want to do and wish we could all do. And I say to people, you can, but. Isn't it wild though? Like, yeah. So many people have said that to me as well. Uh, I feel like we're very lucky with our friendship groups because I feel like so many people say that they have a lot of people like peer pressuring them. And they just don't feel like strong enough to say no. Mm. But I find it so interesting that when you actually have a non-preachy conversation with someone about not drinking and you don't go into this kind of energy of, oh, yeah, I'm not drinking and I'm amazing. The minute you do that, people are like, you're a tosser, fuck you. I'm going to go and have a shot and you just can have a life. Mm. Like People get annoyed at that because they hate that kind of energy. And I totally understand that. But if you're just super chilled about it and you're not preaching, people are so curious. Mm. Literally, like you said, people are like, how are you doing this? How has it been? I feel like every time I meet someone out when I'm not drinking, I have half an hour like personal podcast with this person about how it's going and all the differences I feel. I want to talk about discipline. So you feel that you got some more discipline from not drinking? I just knew that I could do it. Like you're saying, you you talk to people out and they go, I wish I could do that. And you're like, you can. Mm. And it was like something that, yeah, I just struggled with. I drank alcohol for 10 years, really more than 10 years from when I was like 14 years old most weekends. I was like, let's see if I can do a year off. And now I know I can. And and I think what you said there about this not judgment is was a big one. Like I never preached it to anyone. I never told anyone else not to drink. I was like, I'm just trying to do this for myself. I'm not trying to do it for you or anyone else. And it's just letting myself down. No one else if I cracked. Like I could have gone and had a beer if I wanted and told on the podcast that I didn't. But I was just like, no, I'm just doing this for myself. And yeah, I think it's something that we should all be able to do is like say something and stick to it, but it's hard. It's There's sways everywhere. But what I realized so often, like I'd see myself in other people when I'm out and I was like, ooh, that's me like every weekend. That's not that healthy for myself, but it also isn't a good image for the good human factory. There's that self-consciousness, what we talked about before, mm-hmm. like mm, what's a good human? And I was going out and partying pretty loose pretty often for the first two years of the good human factory. And and since the year's over, I've gone out and partied quite a bit, but I have a very different relationship, I think, with alcohol now. I pick my battles. I've got an incredible partner since doing the sober journey. She kind of, we started dating basically right when it started. And yeah, she doesn't drink that much. So I think like it's the environments you put yourself in. So I've been lucky that I've had supportive people around me and I haven't had like people real pushy. Mm. And then I just detached myself from it a bit. I went out a fair bit the first couple months and then I was just kind of like, eh, I don't need to go out. I'm going to live a life of plenty of good partying. Like I said, Fish is my brother-in-law. Alex Hayes is my best mate. I've got plenty of good partying ahead of me in my life. You do. I was just like, you know what? I can always say the rest of my life that I never had a drop of alcohol when I was 28. I love that. (laughs) How funny is it, the idea of like going out and knowing you're going to have a big night or you're wanting to let loose and then be like, oh, God, what happens if someone comes up to me and I'm drunk? I'll never forget I had a moment like that. So there's this Aussie festival for the love. (laughs) I'll never forget I was at the Queensland one and it was years ago and it was before COVID and I'd had quite a few drinks and 
over the space of an hour when I felt like I'd probably had one too many drinks, I have seven people come up to me and tell me that they'd done the meditation course. And I remember I just turned around to Chris. I was like, we need water and a sausage roll and a pie or anything to dry up this alcohol because there are way too many people here that are mind-spo students. And it was like the first time and because I don't go back to Australia and it was like my first time going out and partying. <laughs> being at a festival and having people come up to me while I was drunk. And I honestly, talking about like identity, I had this like full moment where I was like, yo, I I don't know how to act in this situation. Like one, I just want to be myself and let my hair down. But on the other end, there's this like inner self-conscious part where I'm like, I think the next day I literally posted up my stories. I'm a meditation teacher, not a saint (laughs) to anyone that saw me yesterday. Well, I had all these people keep me accountable. I went to a Rufus concert in Sydney. Yeah. And I was walking around with just like a Red Bull in my hand. And within like 10 minutes, I think I had like four people come up to me and like tap me on the shoulder and go, oh, you're drinking. And I'm like, nah, it's just a Red Bull. And they're like, oh, oh okay, good. That. And I was like, I was like, it's kind of cool to know that people were like keeping an eye on me. Like I'd, it happened to me all the time when I'd go out. But that was why I did the made an announcement about it because it kept me accountable. I think it was so good. I feel like now that I've spoken about not drinking when I meet people out there and they know I'm not doing it, they're super supportive. Yeah. But it's the odd person that's, is the year up, Rosh? And I'm like, yeah, the year's a month and a half left. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about what you do at schools. So you go around to schools all around Australia and you have a, would you call it a seminar, like a presentation? What do you call it? I mean, I call it a workshop, but the best way to describe it is like an interactive keynote. It's Mm -hmm. kind of a hybrid between a keynote, like I'm out the front speaking. It's not like workbooks. Mm -hmm. I mean, you did it the other day. Like, What would you call it? It's an interactive keynote. It's a keynote with a few things where you interact throughout the keynote. Mm -hmm. So it's not just me talking the whole time. Yeah. So I go around to schools, started with schools. I started to get the teachers be like, oh my God, I needed that. So I was like, "Hmm, maybe I can do this for corporates. So it has a bit of a different feel to it for the corporate group, a couple different examples throughout my storytelling. But yeah, I've been lucky enough to speak to, I think over 35,000 students over the past three years at like 70 or 80 different schools around the country in all different states. And then yeah, thousands of corporates as well, which has been, I mean, it's crazy to be honest. I look at it now and I'm like, wow, I just literally wanted to help a few people. And now I get messages every single day that the work that I do and the content that I put out helps people. And like I said at the start, it's all about just connecting curious minds with simple mental health strategies. Like I don't have all the answers, but I'll happily talk to incredible people, learn myself and just share what I learn with other people. Yeah. So we're going to have all your details down below. If someone's listening and they like want to get Cooper out to a school, you got a corporate that could like really use this kind of message. I'll have your details in the show notes for that. But I want to talk about public speaking because I think there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast or just have a dream of maybe starting their own podcast or going out there, running their own retreat or speaking in public. I don't know this about you, but did you ever have a fear of public speaking? I think my drive to to share my story to help some kids with their mental health overseeded the overrode the fear of public speaking. I never liked public speaking at school. Like I was a guy that had palm cards and would drop them and didn't really public speak at all. But I think when you, it's a bit different when you're trying to share a story that's not your own or you're trying to talk about something that you don't believe in. That's, I feel like where people get lost with public speaking. But my keynote is me just literally sharing my story, the things that I truly care about and the things that I've learned. So I find it quite easy to share my keynote, I guess now. And because I've done it hundreds of times and it's the same one over and over again. But the biggest, I guess, advice is just starting. So many people are looking for perfection. If I showed you the PowerPoint from my first workshop, it is so terrible and it's like barely makes any sense. But I just think I was just passionate 
about sharing it and I started learning. And one of the best things that I ever did, because I had so much imposter syndrome, like I'm not a mental illness expert. I'm not mm-hmm. a, a psychologist. I don't have any formal deep education in this stuff, but I just care. And you don't have to be a mental health expert to talk about mental health. You just have to talk about it. So I guess my best advice is just to start and take feedback. That was the biggest thing for me. I used to have such imposter syndrome that oh, maybe it's not working, maybe it's not actually helping. But then I started to get every participant of my workshop to fill in a little feedback form. And I sort of said, out of one to 10, how'd you feel before? One to 10, how'd you feel after? And I think after surveying like close to 10,000 students and corporates, something like 98.5% said they left my workshop feeling better than they entered. So that's just that pure evidence that I know, okay, this is helping people. And then it was like 95% of people said they learned a new way to think about mental health after hearing me talk about it. And 88% said they'll use the skills that I talked about moving forward in their life. So that data and pure evidence gave me this, Mm -hmm. I guess, dropping of the imposter syndrome, but I still carry it all the time. But it's just about overriding it because I know the impact that I can have is more important than my fear of public speaking and more important than my fear of being an imposter in this industry. I love that. Imposter syndrome is such a thing. And I I just want to say to anyone listening to this right now, and you've listened to Cooper's whole story, you obviously did not come out of the womb a pro surfer, right? Mm. You were a pro surfer because you got on a board, you fell off a bunch of times, you got barreled, you got absolutely smashed up in waves, you've had a million probably reef cuts, you've absolutely cooped it, I'm sure, learning to surf growing up, right? And then when you go to public speaking, it's not like you literally just said, I used to fumble my like cars, I wasn't a born public speaker, I didn't feel like this is my purpose, but I had a mission, you had something that was within you where you're like, yo, I need to make a difference, these kids are doing horrible things to themselves in some cases like literally committing suicide and like leaving this world and they might not do this if someone was there like talking to them about this I think it's just such a such an important thing to remember because so many people have huge dreams they have a passion they have something they want to do but they let this imposter syndrome and this idea of being the beginner hold them back and they look at people like you that are out there on stages speaking to thousands of kids and that was literally like one goal doing you surfing be like oh, I could never be like him yeah but you weren't born a pro at any of this you're just one of these people that are like you know what I'm going to just keep showing up I'm going to keep being curious I'm going to just keep being the beginner and just improve. So anyone listening, this is literally how you get good at anything at life is you just keep going, you take action, you commit yourself to it. And it's it's something that you can develop within yourself. I'll give you a great quote that's helped me so much along my way. And it comes from this book called The Confidence Gap by this guy, Russ Harris, I think. And the quote is, the act of confidence comes before the feeling of confidence. Mm. And so many of us are waiting for that feeling of confidence before we act confident. Yes. But the act has to come before the feeling and it's so counterintuitive. It's, I guess, the fake it till you make it saying, but it's true. I get up on stage and I pretend I know what I'm doing and then eventually it's, wait a second, I do know what I'm doing. Whereas if I was standing on the side waiting to feel confident, it would never come. Like it comes through action. So So the act of confidence comes before the feeling. And then another one with the imposter syndrome is, if not you, then who? Ah, boom. There you go. So good. There's one that I love, like we're just doing quote exchange yes, now. Quotes. <laughs> <laughs> There's one that I love from Preston Smile is that inspired a podcast episode that we'll put in the show notes. And it is ready is not a feeling, it's a decision. Mm. And that was 
game-changing for me because people are literally sitting around waiting for the feeling of being ready. When am I going to be ready? Is the feeling going to be calm? Like, where is it? It's not a freaking feeling. It's a decision. Like, you do not ever feel ready. I have never, ever felt ready to do anything that was worthwhile in my life. There was never been a moment being like, yeah, the app seems ready. You should really launch it. Or, yeah, the retreat's perfect. You should launch it. Or, oh, the podcast setup is perfect. Like, no, never. I've never felt ready. I'm just like, all right, cool. We're going to put this out and just go with it. And half the things that we're insecure about, Mm. no one else notices. Oh, and if you look back, at the first thing you did and it's perfect, then you waited way too long to put it out. Oh, it's boss. like, yeah, just start and work it out as you go. Start, take feedback. Don't be discouraged by negative feedback. Don't be discouraged by judgment. Use the criticism as drive like, oh, wow, it's free information to improve. And it's mm-hmm. so hard to do that sometimes. But mm-hmm. it's once you can build what your values are and then you don't get swayed by the opinions of others. You can understand when people have your best interest and you take that criticism on and you grow from it. But yeah, we're, we're all waiting to feel ready. I love that one that you said as well. So, yeah, ready is not a feeling. It is a decision. Mm. Cooper, I have absolutely loved this chat with you. If there is a way that people can find you, get involved with what you're doing, shout out where we can stalk all your things. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess social media is the main place, just at Cooper Chapman's, my Instagram, at the Good Human Factories, the page for the business I run thegoodhumanfactory.com if you want to check out my workshops, book me to come speak at a school or a corporate gig. That's one of my main things. Highly recommend it. Yeah, go check out my podcast, Good Humans with Cooper Chapman. You can find that on Spotify, Apple. I've done an amazing episode with yourself. I think you're episode 55 and I think Chris is episode 45 if you want to go check out those two episodes. But, yeah, social media, TikTok, I'm all over the internet. A lot of podcast things pop up with my stuff. But, yeah, I'd love to reach out. If you have any questions about anything I've spoken about today, I'm very open. I try to get back to everyone. So, yeah, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what I spoke about, I guess reshare, tag it in your social media. I'd love to know that the stuff that I talk about has impact. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, can't wait to continue bringing more mental health stuff to the world that's a little bit different to maybe the mainstream. Love it. And if you are watching this or if you see any of the shorts and the reels, we are actually both repping the Good Human Factory right now. (laughs) So we didn't talk about this. We'll get into detail. There's so many things I could talk about with Coops, but you have an amazing merch line and it is literally all about spreading a positive message. So it's just wearing like a billboard of positivity on yourself every single day. I have one last question for you before we go. (laughs) If you could put a billboard in every single school around Australia and it had a phrase on it, what would it say? be a good human be a good human there we go that is my chat with Cooper thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next one thank you for joining me for this episode you can discover more from Mindspo on Instagram and TikTok by following at Mindspo and myself at Rochelle underscore Fox if this episode inspired you then please pass it on and share the love And if you're new to our world and you want to elevate your mind and step into your best self, then be sure to download our app Manifesty from the App Store and take advantage of the free trial. With Manifesty, you can create your own vision board movies, practice powerful meditations and set affirmation reminders so your phone supports your journey towards that abundant vision of your future. And lastly, always remember, you create your own reality. So go and make some magic.